0: A mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I interview a guest sharing their story and advice on getting into cybersecurity. And today I'm very excited to have Parker Douth on the show today. Parker and I have uh, been connected through Twitter for a while and he was on my live stream when I was doing my live stream. So it's great to have you on today.
2: Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much, Phil, for having me on.
1: Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your your busy schedule. I know you're really busy with your nonprofit and all the other things you got going on. So some people, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are just trying to get started in the industry. They may not have heard of you yet. So if you wouldn't mind, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I got started um, in cybersecurity, kind of 2017, wrapped up my bachelor's. I was going to kind of started doing like physics work and wanted to be an engineer, Uh, kind of fell in love with computer science security. So once I got that degree, I pivoted, decided to, I'm going to go full steam ahead into cybersecurity, Um, went and did a master's program in cybersecurity in Ireland. Um, From there, earned that degree, started doing some uh, consulting pen test work in Ireland, did that for about nine months, uh, moved back to the U.S. to do some internal pen test team work, uh, pivoted back into consulting. So uh, that's what I've been doing for about the last couple of years. So getting really a wide range of the different internal, external facing roles, um, all the while just loving security more and more.
1: Oh, that's a good thing. I bet, I bet working in Ireland was interesting.
2: It was, absolutely. It was nice to be able to kind of, see a whole new perspective on just like the European lifestyle, how they work, Um, the education system over there, having been born and raised in the U.S. It was really um, a a unique and exciting
1: opportunity. So what kind of got you interested in going down the path of cybersecurity?
2: Uh, I think it was really just a couple of classes here and there during my uh, bachelor's learning how to do like C++ programming, uh, web design even, Um, the security really came from just watching a lot of different tutorials on YouTube. Um, I think that's how a lot of people kind of get interested, whether it's through TV or just watching, um, some people do it online, um, really just found it really interesting that you could do, um, take applications in a way that they weren't meant to be, uh, used or try to like hack them. Uh, so really found that kind of challenge really interesting.
1: Oh, very cool. So since you mentioned coding, you know, for those getting started, uh, would you recommend that people learn how to code? Do you think that's something someone have to has to have to get started?
2: I don't think you have to have it. I mean, really, when I started, um, all I knew was like some C++ coding, um, which really wasn't useful in anything that I did. Um, but I think if you, the more you get into it, I think the more you'll find like uh, Python is a good one. Um, Ruby's a good language. Uh, But I think understanding, if you can have even just a base ability to read some code, whether that's HTML, um, JavaScript, it can go a long way, but I don't think you really have to have it to even just get started or succeed.
1: Yeah, it's always interesting to ask my guests that because out of all the people I had on my show, I'm really surprised that the person that said, no, you don't have to know how to code. I don't know how to code was Alyssa Knight. (laughs) which really surprised me. I mean, she's super smart. I'm sure if she wanted to code, she could, she spent the time in it, but she's managed to do well without it. So it's always good to hear people's take, you know, some people that come from a development background will say you need it. And it's just kind of interesting to always to, to get that opinion.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think security just, there are so many roles you can do, um, like architecture work. You can do the defensive side, the offensive side, um, so really, it's kind of the like the world is your oyster type of a kind of look or mindset you can have. Um, so if you really love programming and coding, there's definitely ways you can implement that no matter what you do. But if you you hate it or don't want to do it at all, then you really don't have to.
1: And, and it seems like from the offensive side, all the, the different tools we have out there now, like Burp Suite, before if you're going to brute force a login uh, to an application, you know, using Hydra from the command line or something like that to try to to try to log in, try to to hack into the site. Brute force the password was a little more comp although it wasn't awful. But you know, even before that, people had to write scripts and things to be able to do that. And Burp Suite and some of the other tools have made it easier to not have to. I know that's one of the things that probably has prevented me from spending more time learning to code and script was just the fact of, you know, the tools out there make it easier that you don't have to.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think our community, just the work and the contributions that so many people make, um, for the people that really do love coding, uh, putting together a tool that can help so many people. um, And then you can take that as somebody who doesn't like to code or doesn't really want or isn't able to learn, um, and still be able to kind of perform those tasks.
1: And as far as education goes, I know you have some certifications, and you also have your degree you know, kind of in the spirit of that question about coding, does someone need to have certifications or a degree to get started in cybersecurity?
2: I think it's going to be a, like a really kind of controversial question. Uh, Cause I think there's a lot of people on both sides. Some people are going to say, you need to go have at least like a bachelor's degree uh, to really succeed. Um, you need X, Y, Z certification to be a successful pen tester, security architecture analyst. Um, I think a lot, but just how many resources you have available at your fingertips now, um, there really isn't any one need to have to be able to get in or get started even to succeed. So um, I think it does help having the, like, for some people that structured learning that, like, a degree program will have um, can be really helpful. Some people would rather just have the flexibility to learn on their own. Um, so yeah, I, I do have a few different certifications and the degree. So I do like education and you'll, the more you learn, the more, you know. Um, but I think if you're willing to put in the time and effort uh, to do self-study, there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to succeed with that as well.
1: Yeah. One thing's for sure. It's not going to hurt you to have them anyway. And and like you mentioned the structured learning, you know, some people have a hard time with self-study and, you know, with, if you're going to college, you've got deadlines. You have to take your exam by this time. You just can't keep putting it off. You have to do it. And, and for people that you know, you may not understand what you need to learn to get into cybersecurity, and having that structure structure can be helpful.
2: Yeah, definitely. I the, I talk to so many people that just like, where do I get started? Where what should I be looking at? And and definitely certification courses or even like degrees really help uh, kind of point you in that right direction and kind of give you those tools to um, learn and then test what you're learning along the way.
1: Yeah, and it seems like with the certification thing, with with pen testing, it seems like you really, you almost need to have something to get your foot in the door, you know, and if you're working for consulting, it's interesting that a lot of companies want you to have certifications because it's easier to sell you as a pen tester. You know, this, you know, this person has this certification and that certification to try to, you know, make them look better than another consulting company. But then you see some boutique firms that they really don't care about it because, you know, everyone on their team is really good and they don't have to have the certifications, but you know.
2: Yeah, yeah definitely. I think, yeah, that's a, lot, a huge barrier just kind of getting your foot in the door to get someone from HR to take a look at your application. Um, certifications go a long way on, unfortunately or fortunately um, they can really help or um, hinder whether you do or don't have one. Um, And then, yeah, once you kind of get on a team, especially in consulting, um, you're right. That is like a way that a lot of companies will try to sell you to a prospective client. Um, But overall, I think uh, more and more people are using self-study, home-built labs as a way to show off uh, their knowledge without needing to necessarily have um, that degree or certification, which I think you see a lot more HR people um, really starting to consider those.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Some of the things people have shared or their, their ways of getting in. I think a really good one, too, also was uh, Joe Helley did his, his Medium article on getting CVEs, you know, because that's one of the things even some, not all pen testers have CVEs. So if you're someone trying to get in the industry, I think that could be useful, too. And then seeing the content creators, people that create content, that kind of get them noticed and help them get their foot in the door.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's really surprising to see how much, um, like, networking on social media can really help people um, get connected to a lot more jobs than you've seen really in the past. Um, I mean, you and I met over Twitter. Um, I know quite a few people who landed either their first job or their current job, uh, specifically through, like, LinkedIn or any social network um, that might have bypassed maybe something that would have been a little harder to land going through that traditional like HR application process.
1: Yeah. Networking is, is so huge. I mean, it's one of the things that before, you know, before LinkedIn, Twitter and all that, it was just more or less if you were going to different user groups or security meetings and just things like that was networking, but the way Twitter with like Twitter, especially LinkedIn's not bad either, but Twitter makes it so, so much easier to, to network with people and, and conferences and things, but people really don't get the power of it until you really get involved with it. You know, you see a lot of people that are getting jobs easier. You know, if you take their counterparts, that's not doing uh Twitter, you know, they're going to have a lot more difficult time in most cases, you know, just, or just not having an equal networking element like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I do think um, there are certainly ways, like you said, joining or at least participating local in a lot of your um, local meetups, whether it's going to be like B-sides or maybe your uh, local DEF CON chapter, or even just something smaller, maybe more um, college or high school level. Um, Those opportunities really uh, can be helpful, but I think a lot of that untapped potential is going to be online.
1: Yeah. And I think as far as networking working goes that, People need to make sure if you're going through, you're going to college and stuff like that, take care, take advantage of the networking there because I think too many times people are in class together and they don't really think, you know, once we get out of school, we're looking for jobs and even not even getting your foot in the door. But years later, someone that went to school with you, you're connected. You may be able to get a job or you may be able to help them out.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that is going to be kind of one of those benefits maybe for those like degree programs is you do have that alumni network more often than not, that can really help you um, connect with whether it's people in your same class or people just graduated or even graduated decades before.
1: So, uh, you know, while we're on the subject of getting jobs, what are some tips you have for someone that's trying to get in the industry? Like maybe, maybe it's even, uh, you know, interview tips or things that they could do to prepare for, uh, you know, a job in offensive security, or maybe even some things that they can do to get experience that would help them
2: Um, Yeah, I think a lot of people maybe overlook how important soft skills are during interviews. Um, Whether you're working on an internal team or doing consulting, um, having the ability to talk to people and be able to kind of easily convey what you know in more of a um, easier to digest um, manner, because a lot of our stuff that we do deal with is very highly technical. Um, And if you can't really adequately convey that to somebody who maybe is more on a from an HR team or like an executive team um, you might struggle in uh, more of your internal role. Um, Other than that, if you're really looking to get started um, building that network online can definitely help you. Like we were saying, uh, find those opportunities, interview. Um, I think the more you do it, the better you get. You just slowly get more comfortable selling yourself and really being able to convey uh, what you know, what you don't know uh, really being honest, which I know a lot of people might be like, well, why would I want to say what I don't know? Or why would I want to be like, oh, well, I don't know that. Um, but I think the more that you get comfortable, the more you find that oftentimes on a team, they're going to look for you to still be able to grow and kind of reach out to teammates and ask for help. Um, and a lot of that starts with the, being able to say what you don't know.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good thing. Cause you never want to go in overselling yourself, self or, you don't want people to assume you know something when you don't or something. So, you know, a lot of times people are going to give you the opportunity, especially if you're getting started, it's an entry level position or something. They're going to understand, but you never want to get thrown into something that you're not ready for and just have to sink or swim. And
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the worst thing you can do is lie, which I personally don't, don't know anybody that has gone in and been like, Oh yeah, no, I totally know what you mean and then get in and you fail. Um, but I know some interviews will throw you um, intentionally, like trick questions to see if you're willing to say, I don't know. Yeah. Or, oh, I've never heard of that. I'd have to to look that up.
1: Yeah, I've interviewed some people on past jobs that kind of exaggerated, you know, experience and have known people that work with people that come into their company claiming that they have worked in like digital forensics and they come in, they're hired in as a manager and they come in and then uh, they weren't really interviewed that well, technically by the management team. And once they got in and started working, they found out that they really did that this person really didn't know anything. And so, yeah, that's one of the things they, that person ended up losing their job. So that's one of the things that, you know, really stress, make sure you're honest about this stuff. Whenever you're, you know, you're building your resume or updating your LinkedIn profile, put what you know how to do because if you're going there, say, you know, Burp Suite, you need to let people know the level you know it at. Don't just throw things on your resume that maybe you started because that also dictates how you're going to get interviewed.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I I always tell people if you aren't comfortable talking about it, explaining it, um, don't put it on your resume because somebody somebody eventually is going to ask you about it. If you just started learning about, like, SQL or, like, SQL Injection, um, you may or may not want to put that on your resume. If somebody really dives deep, and if you're not one of those types of people to admit that you're a little in over your head, um, it can really kind of cause a lot of issues later
1: later on. So, like some of the technical interviews for these pen test jobs, they have like a a CTF type or a pen test environment where they go in and perform a pen test. So what are good ways for people to prepare for that? And is that something that you see as a common uh, interview method for companies that hire pen testers?
2: Um, Yeah, I've run into kind of both. I've run into those more um, CTF. It's like, here's a few different uh, challenges and write up uh, your walkthrough. I've done uh, mock pen test reports and readouts. Um, I think a really great way to practice is take advantage of those resources like um, hack the box, try hack me. um, a lot of those can give you those more hands-on opportunities to learn and practice. Um, More often than not, there's a lot of free places that you can practice. Um, I think that hands-on experience can go miles and miles past just having that kind of theoretical understanding.
1: Yeah. The CTF type stuff seems to help even real world because you hear sometimes people try to downplay the OSCP and say it's a CTF type scenario or whatever, but you know, when I hear that, it's like there's some really good skills that you can build because thinking of really good people that are really good with CTF, I think of John Hammond and that guy's got you know, was one of the first people to get the new OSCE 3, which involves the three different certifications he got that and the guy's just a, a real ninja and to downplay that CTFs aren't good, I think that's kind of, you know, not understanding the strength of that
2: yeah. And I, I like CTFs cause it can really give kind of everybody across the, like whether you're just beginning or you've been in the industry for years, um, everybody can kind of find something that they either is more in their niche or their wheelhouse, um, as well as something that might push them just a little bit further than where they are. Um, and it really can kind of test if you're wanting to do more forensic work, um, if you really like cryptography, um, or you want to do more like, uh, boot to root type attack testing.
1: So you, you kind of mentioned networking and stuff. So I know you're really big into community. Uh, I know you help a lot of the people, but has there been any people that, that have kind of helped you along the way that's kind of mentored you?
2: Um, yeah, I think because I think really that community is going to be a two-way street. You take in so much from so many people um, and really having that opportunity to learn from people like you um makeshift i mean eric was uh, has been a great person to talk to about um his organization and the work that he's done um really everybody whether they are just starting and asking their questions can really help me um look at how i've learned how i try to share my experience um maybe shaping how that i can help things come across easier to other people um it's really been a great learning experience this last couple I'd say maybe more just shy of like a year and a half of really diving into the community of our
1: uh, industry. And one of the things I think too is an an advantage I see as well for mentoring some people myself and from time to time is, you know, some people when they want to mentor, uh, they think it's someone one on one and they talk to each week, you know, whether it's a phone call or, you know, Zoom or whatever. But one of the things I think, you know, just hearing you mention some of the different people that you've learned from, I think it's sometimes for some people, I think it's an advantage to have many mentors and not really just listen to one person. So that kind of seems like kind of the, the path you've followed.
2: Yeah, I think, cause I mean, I, I do like the like one-on-one ability for somebody if they have a specific issue um, or more like individual questions they might have. Um, I think that can be really beneficial, but I do think the more voices you can hear from, um, the more chances you have to learn. And you really can soak in people's different experiences, how they approach a problem or how they entered the industry, um, their thought processes on things. Uh, so, yeah, I really like being able to do those more like panel type discussions, share all of that to just a wide range of people.
1: Yeah, it's important to have those different opinions. And that's the interesting thing about this podcast. You know, I've had people like Alyssa Knight on here and Dave Kennedy, but someone may come up and they heard someone that just got into the industry. I mean, I even, I had Lily Clark on here before she got her pen testing job. She had passed her EJPT and just, you know, she's a very positive and, and inspirational person. So I had her on. So it's interesting to hear how the different people resonate differently with different people. You know, they may be able to, uh, relate to your story more than someone else's and so on.
2: Yeah. I think that's kind of the important part of really being able to amplify so many different voices. Um, it's something I try to do really to just show people how many different ways and backgrounds, um, can lead you into cybersecurity. So you can come from, I know like, um, Lola Curano, and I might be pronouncing that wrong. Um, was a ballerina and now she does InfoSec. Um, so somebody can come from a, like an art background, a math background. Um, you can come in from the military. Um, there's just so many different life experiences people bring uh, that just make our industry and community so amazing.
1: Yeah. And as far as, you know, we you know, on the subject of mentoring, if you would share kind of uh, some of your mentoring efforts and, and so forth and in and, and- and also, I think we definitely need to, to discuss your nonprofit. So I think some great things that you're doing there.
2: Yeah. So last July, I launched the um, Information Security Collective. Um, it's a nonprofit that um, touches people around the world, but primarily focused on the U.S., um, working to make just the infosec industry um, more accessible for people, um, regardless of what your background might be, what your prior experience level is. Um, really giving people a place to um, network with other people that are interested in the same things they are, uh, give them that opportunity to learn, um, try and give back to the community, whether that's through um, sponsorships for different certifications, or eventually tr- we're going to try and do um, conference sponsorships. Um, yeah. Really just trying to make our community and industry as strong as it can um, while also paying attention to people who faced a lot of um, roadblocks or, um, along the way, whether that's going to be like financial barriers, um, or maybe you come from a more underrepresented background, uh, really trying to just get as many people in as we can.
1: That, that's a great cause, yeah, because there's so many so many areas of underrepresented people that don't have the paths in, and so you know it's just amazing for anyone listening if you want to help people just you know exposing people to these different resources out there the different people out there that are helping people and and also like organizations like yours because a lot of times it's just getting the awareness because some people don't even realize about this certain type of part of cybersecurity that may be really interesting you know a lot of people focus on on pen testing but there's a lot of other cool areas so just allowing people to get exposed to that you know being able to you know do like panel discussions, like you were mentioning, you know, going to schools and even, you know, get, get into like, uh, the K through 12 schools, because that's kind of where people are still trying to decide what they want to do and getting in to those areas and, and, and sharing with them, I think is important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the earlier you can kind of be able to show people what, um, different career paths there are, um, the more time they have to really find what they're interested and passionate about. Um, so yeah, I know a lot of like groups try and really target the college age students just cause they're about to enter the workforce, but I, I agree, uh, getting in through K through 12 is definitely, um, I think would be really beneficial for a lot of people. Um, and a lot of like the career opportunities we have just cause you don't need a college degree, uh, to be successful. And so, um, you may want to dedicate that extra time uh, to maybe getting certifications or getting started.
1: So, uh, so you have any, anything coming up as far as any kind of events or anything you're planning to do with your nonprofit?
2: Um, So I can, I can tell you um, we're in the process of trying to put together a CTF Um, right now. It's pretty early stages, but really looking um, forward to being able to bring more of like a Jeopardy style, um, CTF to people, um, really kind of have a wide range of beginner friendly challenges up to those more intermediate and advanced, um, give people a chance to really just see, um, what they like about cybersecurity. Um, and then we do, we hold our weekly or bi-weekly podcast. Um, we'd hopefully love to have you on at some point. Sure. Um. And then, yeah, we just kind of, uh, throughout the month, uh, check in to see what people are doing for different, um, like, CTFs. So they might be participating in um, and really just providing uh, that group and network space.
1: That's great. So really, really love what you're doing and kudos and thanks for what all you're doing for the community and people in general, even people outside the community. We talk about the community, but it's really great when people are reaching outside of the community and pulling people in. Uh, It's just amazing sometimes to see how it just changes people's lives, even from having this support group, these people they can talk to, you know, because a lot of us nerds sometimes outside of our people, we just sometimes you don't always get along and click, but you know, once you find, you know, these groups, you got someone that you can relate to and it's just, I don't know, opens up a whole new world in my opinion.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Cause just going to like, conferences like DEF CON and stuff and getting to meet these people. And you just think back to, you know, other times in your life, I, you know, I think back to high school when, you know, I didn't fit in with any specific group or whatever. And, you know, I've been a powerlifter for years and I somewhat fit in with those people. But once I got into the cybersecurity and, and hacking communities, like I found, you know, really found my, my tribe.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely, I think, a lot of people, especially when you're into computers, you're into programming during like high school, you might kind of find yourself really in a niche group of people. Um, but I think that is, like I said, one of the amazing things about our industry uh, is just how different backgrounds and various experiences people have. Um, because you're not just the, like, the tech nerd, the cybersecurity nerd. Um, you might be a powerlifter, an artist, uh, a skateboarder, So you can have all of these amazing parts of yourself that you can really bring into your role.
1: Yeah, and and thinking along those, it was kind of really cool to see how, like, during the pandemic, how the Red Team Fit really got people engaged and interested into getting in better health instead of it would have been really easy for people. You know, some people did have to deal with depression and just weight gain or other health issues, but it's really nice when you see things like that that have helped improve people's health and the people making mental health more, uh, prominent and people make, you know, bringing awareness to that. So there's so many things outside of just what we do that's helped people. that's really great to see.
2: Yeah. And no, I think, I mean, you mentioned having Dave Kennedy on his, uh, hacking health mm-hmm. kind of, um, mission or his like podcast. Um, I think does a lot to really help people stay healthy when you're working at a computer all day. Um, burnout is a major issue that I think um, isn't just specific to cybersecurity um, but is something that we do face because we are doing pretty similar things day to day and it can be a little tiresome um, and really just being able to highlight that over the last year or two um, and help people find ways to kind of combat that
1: yeah thinking of mental health just, just since we kind of mentioned that and kind of m- mentioned the pandemic so how have you kind of coped with you know, the pandemic? I know some people that are hardcore introverts, it didn't bother them so much, but people that like to get out and do things, it kind of did. So how did, did the pandemic affect you in that sense? And did you find things to help with that?
2: Yeah. So I mean, I, so I started uh, working in my last role, um, January 2020. So I got maybe two months into the office before we had that kind of Go back home, wait a couple of weeks. Hopefully, we'll see how things pan out. Um, turned into a couple of years later, and we're kind of still here. Um, so that was an interesting shift. I really do like being out in an office and kind of seeing your teammates. Really being able to b- build that network um, for me personally is a little easier to do in an office. Um, but then I started my current role uh, completely remote and really I struggled a little bit to kind of build that sense of unity and team camaraderie. Um, but eventually figured out how to do that online. Um, maybe about a year ago, um, slowly started making the shift back into the office. More and more people have started coming in, um, which has been really nice in that regard. Um, but outside of work, it's been a little tough, especially when everything was pretty well locked down. Um, I don't know about you, but I got a a pandemic puppy. Well, cool. (laughs) So um, having that opportunity to kind of have a reason to get out of the house and go do things was really nice. Um, And then more recently, I started going back to the gym just to be able to uh, kind of have that motivation in the morning, be a little bit healthier. Uh,
1: Yeah, it it was a tough time. One of the things that kind of helped me a lot was – we, my wife and I would go walking twice a day. Uh, it was really missing just, you know, because during lockdown, you know, you just really couldn't do anything. And even places that had curbside pickup, you were kind of worried about what you would go get from places because you're worried about at the time, you weren't really sure how this was transmitted and stuff. So one of the things I really found there was a big Help for me mental health wise was just getting out and walking, getting out of nature, especially in the evenings. We'd walk through our neighborhood, we'd see like rabbits and frogs and things, and just kind of forgetting about the world and just kind of focusing on nature and getting out. It's just almost kind of a, I don't know, kind of a, a meditation form for me, I guess.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of people found and started maybe doing new hobbies um, that they otherwise maybe wouldn't have gotten into. I know. Uh, One big popular thing was like people who made sourdough bread, um, or really just got into cooking at home. Um, So really having those opportunities to explore um, things they really weren't wouldn't have thought of doing, Um, and I do think a lot of people probably started really enjoying maybe more of that uh, nature space around.
1: Yeah, I guess one of the positive, you know, there's, you know, I try to find positive in everything, even if it's a bad experience, but at least one thing if it did you know, what the pandemic did for some of us is it taught us to, you know, find something good, you know, be able to find something to make the situation better, make the best of it.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. You got to look on the bright side of things um, or else you're going to go stir crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can't dwell on negative. It's, and it's too easy to do, but, but definitely. So we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there any advice or anything you'd like to share before we end the show?
2: Um, Yeah. So I think if you're, interested in getting started with cybersecurity? um whether you're in high school looking to really get started or you've been working in a different industry for years and years um you're it's never too early to start and it's never too late to start um there are so many resources available um, a lot of them for free that really the sky's the limit for what you want to learn don't be afraid to reach out to people online Uh, really you can find a great source of networking opportunities. Uh, People are more than happy to point you in the right direction or maybe to point you to somebody who knows more than they do about a certain topic. Uh, So, yeah, just if you like security or if you're just interested, go for it. There's not a whole lot to lose and so much to gain.
1: Yeah, that's great advice there. I I appreciate you joining and sharing your knowledge and your story. I'm sure it's going to help some people, so I deeply appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's been always a pleasure talking to you. And thanks everyone
1: for joining and we'll see you on the next episode.
0: BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels.